here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, the title of the message is What to Pray and How to Pray, Part 1. We're going to be looking at Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 11 on prayer, where Jesus gives uh, the Lord's Prayer, at least Luke's version of it, a little bit different than Matthew's version. But this whole passage kicks off with the question of the disciples, Lord, could you teach us to pray? And I think this is one of those questions that uh, all of us have. So let's head to the North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. If you have your bulletin with you today, if you got one, the the passage for today is Luke eleven is Luke eleven verse one through four. It's on the front of your bulletin, by the way. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples." And he said to them, "When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name." Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The passage for today is actually longer than this. But as I was preparing the, the message, I was like, there's way too much stuff to cover. So we're just going to be, we're going to take this in two parts. This is, we're calling this mini-series uh, what to pray and how to pray. And so this is part one. Have you ever found yourself asking that question, how do I pray? What do I pray? I mean, you ever feel, I mean, I, even as a pastor sometimes, I'm like, I, what does it mean when I post something on Facebook and somebody says, I'm going to pray for you? I mean, what does that even look like? Is it just I'm going to think good thoughts or or I'm just going to say a quick thing. I, I think that is this question that the disciples are asking here is a very relevant question that, that we have not outgrown. We've not be, uh, moved beyond. And so Jesus answers them with the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray this. Now, was Jesus uh, intending that, did he mean right here that when you pray, pray this exact prayer this way? Um, Perhaps a little bit. I don't think it's wrong to pray this prayer as a prayer. We we typically pray this prayer every week when we take communion. This morning we sung the prayer uh, on on that third worship song. But I think that this prayer is is a great prayer to uh, give us a template for how to pray, to give us a, a bit of a, a few things to consider as we are approaching God. And for that reason, it is it is really great when it comes to our spiritual formation because contained in the in these 
just handful of lines here that Jesus gives to his disciples are, are many things that, that should shape uh, our understanding of God and the world and ourselves as we come to God in prayer. So I'm going to kind of take this line by line or, you know, word by word and, and kind of look into what this prayer means. Now, the first thing that we encounter here that Jesus says is Father. And I, I think part of our familiarity with this prayer, because we pray it so much. Now, we normally pray, pray the version of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew. It's a little, got a few more words in there. But when we come to the Lord's Prayer, we start off by saying, Father. In other words, we're not praying to some, you know, force out there. Some impersonal deity, someone who's just created us. We're approaching God as our Father. I like the way Matthew puts it, our Father. We come to this prayer by acknowledging that God is our Father. We're also acknowledging what? That we are brothers and sisters. We are His children. What's it mean if you start looking at the people in this world as your brothers and sisters when you come to prayer? Now, I'm a little at a loss for this because I'm an only child, so I don't have a lot of grid. But I, I see my own kids, and I, 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 I understand it a bit from the outside. But what does it mean that when we come to the Lord's Prayer, we're not only calling Him Father, but we are acknowledging that we're all family here? So we start off by acknowledging that we're in relationship with our Father. We pray just the way Jesus did. You know, Jesus taught us something about prayer. Jesus would always say, Abba, Father. It's a word of intimacy. Papa, Dad, I'm your kid. It's not a word of just reverence like, oh, Father. It's Papa. This is why Jesus would pray. He is our Father, and we in turn are His children. So we start off with Father, and then we move to one of the most, I don't know, not confusing phrases, but it just sounds archaic. Hallowed be thy name. Do you, how many of y'all use that term, hallowed, in your everyday world? It's a, I don't use it, and I'm, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I, the only place I use it is when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. What the heck does it mean? I was, as I was studying this, I was like, I say this term all the time when we pray it, but I, I'm really lacking a little wisdom on it. So I did quite a bit of studying on this, and I think this is probably one of the most important uh, terms to understand in the prayer, and yet it is the one that we probably gloss over the most. To hallow means to give glory, to give honor, to give reverence. I, I In our vineyard regional meeting uh, in Texas a few weeks ago, uh, we were treated to, to Brian Zahn, an author who's written some great books. He's also a pastor up in St. Joseph's, Missouri. And he wrote this book a few years ago called Beauty Will Save the World. And he said, when we come to the term glory in the Bible, again, glory is a word we don't use a whole lot, more than hallowed. But a good way to understand glory is beauty. When we look at God's glory, we're looking at his beauty. May your name be beautiful in the world. May it be consecrated. May it be set apart. May people see uh, how good you are. 
See, part of the way that we can understand what's going on here is when we look to the Old Testament times, the Jewish people, when they were going to name their kids, they didn't just do what we do where we just kind of like, what's the popular names today? You know? You know, you can actually look in America in in the last hundred years, you can look at these databases of names, and they figured out that you can you can guess within a few years what somebody's age is based on their name because of the popularity of names, and you'll be you know, you have an eighty percent chance of getting it right. Although it's not true for Crispins. (laughs) We in the West, we just find like, oh, that's a cool name. You know, we, we name our, our kids that usually. But, but in, in ancient Jewish times, a name did not just, it just wasn't a, a tag or a title. It signified your character, your purpose, your calling, your destiny, or maybe how God had revealed himself. That's why in the Old Testament, oftentimes uh, we see God changes somebody's name. Jacob, who'd been known as a supplanter, he wrestles with God, and, and God changes his name to Jacob. One who wrestles, I mean, to Israel, one who wrestles with God. Uh, Abraham, his name is changed from Abram to Abraham, meaning father of many, uh, father of a multitude. So names don't just signify a title, but they signify character. And this is why one of the Ten Commandments, the third commandment of the Ten is, do not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. Now, when I think of the third commandment, when I was a kid, what the third commandment meant to me is like when you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't use God's name like you would use a curse word, right? How many of y'all, that's the way you understand? You don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. And that's true. I believe that to be true, but I believe that's only part of what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain. We take the name of the Lord in vain Anytime we attach God to things that don't match his character. And when I say his character, I specifically mean what we see revealed in Jesus Christ. So, for instance, in my early years of church, I went to this church where uh, the pastoral leadership would often tell people, you don't need to marry this person. Actually, they told Dina that, don't marry that dude Crispin. But they wouldn't just say that. They'd say, God's telling me you don't need to marry that guy. I heard this happen on several occasions, too. God's telling me that you don't need to go to college. You just need to stay and serve in church. Great way to manipulate young people. (laughs) They're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Why? Because instead of just saying, man, I wish you would not marry this dude. I think you shouldn't marry this dude. You add God on there, it gives a little bit more force, doesn't it? That's taking the name of the Lord God in vain. We see politicians do it all the time, by the way. Anytime a politician evokes the name of Jesus to do something that doesn't represent the character of Jesus, that's taking the name of the Lord God in vain. That is dishonoring the name of God. Probably one of the best places we can understand this is uh, in Ezekiel. And I put this on your outline, at least the first part of it. Ezekiel 36, 22 through 23. 
Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you all your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What is God saying here? He's saying the people of Israel at this time, they had brought dishonor to his name. Instead of hallowing the name of God, they had actually profaned the name of God. Have you ever, you ever heard people criticize the church before? I'm, I'm sure you haven't, but I, I, I occasionally run across people that aren't big fans of the church. And you know what they often say? It's because the way we act. They like, I like this Jesus guy. He makes sense. But you guys don't seem like you're following the same guy that you proclaim. You're profaning his name. You're, 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 not, you're not bringing honor to Jesus. And I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm just saying, you know, church in general, okay? But God says here, he says, I'm going to do this not for your sake, but for my name's sake. I'm tired of y'all messing my reputation up. And he says, I'm going to cleanse you from your sins, flee you from, free you from idolatry, give you a, a, a soft heart of flesh instead of this cold heart of stone that you've ended up with. I'm going to give you my spirit. I love what God says in here. When I am, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. In other words, the way God is going to restore the honor of his name, the way he's going to hallow his name is by doing something in us that people can see. That they can't use that excuse you know, all the, 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 that, that we bring shame to God and we don't look anything like Jesus. God, God wants to do something to say that, that we do look like Jesus because that brings honor to his name. As Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, by this everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. How do we bring honor to the name of God? We do that. We love one another. Or Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we sang a song inspired by this passage. This is one of the oldest hymns that, that Bible scholars have found. It, was, it actually predated the book of Philippians. And it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah! Make me want to preach. 
What is going on in this passage? We're looking at the one day where Jesus' name is completely hallowed that because people see who Jesus truly is and everybody just falls down and worship at the glory, at the beauty revealed in Jesus. His name is made holy. So when we're saying, hallowed be your name, we are looking to that future where everybody gets to see Jesus, ourselves included, for who he really is. Not for all the various Jesuses we've tried to make him into. At the, the name that is above all every, every name. So when we pray to hallow the name of God, we're saying, God, may we bring honor to your name. May our lives point to the fact that you're good and you're loving and you're compassionate. May our lives speak that to people. When we live our lives today, may people not look at us and, and, and have an excuse to turn away from God. But may they see your goodness in us. Your kingdom come. Kingdom come, th- this is a weird phrase as well, because when I think of kingdom, my first thoughts are like King Arthur and his knights. And, you know, kingdom is a weird word. We don't use it. We're a Western democracy, for God's sake. You know? We have, we've gone past all that, that stuff. We, we've evolved. We're, we're in a, a better place. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we need a monarchy. <laughs> but one of the best ways to conceive of kingdom of God is just it's the rule and reign of God. As Matthew puts it in the Lord's Prayer in, in his version, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we say your kingdom come, we're just, number one, we're saying I submit to your rule in my life today, God. I, I come under your authority. I trust my life to you. But also, when I look out into this world that's so filled with hate and violence and corruption, I'm asking your kingdom to, to, to be manifested here on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, all that craziness ain't going on. Your kingdom. But again, I just want to say, every one of these things that we pray, and it's going, to be, it's going to become clear in a minute, we don't pray them unless we're committed to the things that we're saying. So we don't ask God's kingdom to come if we're not uh, trying to live under his rule ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread. You know, it's interesting, the term father, God referring to himself as father, the, the, the first time that that appears in the Old Testament is right at the beginning of the Exodus when, when uh, Moses is, is, is talking to the Pharaoh, trying to get the children of Israel uh, out of captivity. And when they start into the Exodus, one of the, the, the distinctive marks of the Exodus is that they had to get their food every day by going out and gathering manna on the ground. And manna was this substance. Actually, the word manna is, what is it? <laughs> What is it? I'm going to go get some more of that. What is it? <laughs> Stuff. We're going to make a casserole. And they would have to go grab this stuff every day. And, and the thing is, you couldn't get enough manna to last till the next day. The next day, if you tried to store up enough manna, it'd have maggots in it. It'd be rotten. And in Deuteronomy 8, when they have come into the promised land... 
God explains why he chose to do manna. <laughs> he says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So that 40 years wandering around in the desert, having to collect this what-is-it stuff off the ground and eat it, that was part of God's spiritual formation process in them. God knows the best way to a, a man's heart is through his stomach. God invented that. So every day, they couldn't make groceries for the week. They had, to, they had to trust in God every day. They had to go out every day. I think all of us, we, you know, we live in a world, I mean, this is a terrific time in history where you can have 401Ks and you can look to retire and I'm going to work 40 years and then I'm just going to take the last, you know, however long I have and just chill out. And we think of that. I don't think that's a bad thing. But the problem is we, we can so easily trust in our own Wealth, our own talents, our own possessions to the point where we stop going to God every day. Or when we go to God, we're not asking him to take care of us today. We're looking like, God, a little help taking care of me for the next 10 years. Jesus taught a parable one time. He says in Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'm having trouble talking today. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to him, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barn and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. For this very night, your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get all your stuff that you prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. See, the children of Israel, when they were going from, from Egypt to the promised land, God was teaching them something through manna that their well-being was not tied to the economy of Egypt anymore. It was tied to their relationship with God. They had come to associate their own well-being with slavery to the empire. However Egypt does, the better for them. But God was teaching them by coming to him daily, gathering their food, trusting in God daily for what they had. It was shaping them to not put their confidence in, in their own wealth or in the systems of this world. When we come to this part of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We're saying, God, we trust you for what we have today. Not only that, but we're also saying, God... If I can be your provision to someone else that is in need, help me to do that. Because I've taken my hands off. I'm not simply trying to live, you know, 
comfortably for the foreseeable future as I can. I'm not trusting in my wealth. I'm living with open hands because I trust you with my life. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is where the prayer gets real. We, uh, <laughs> I don't like this part of the prayer. Like, I just like, it to say, forgive us our sins, and then move on, and keep us from temptation, and give us everything we need to eat. That I can get on board with that prayer. But forgive us as we forgive. Again, we don't come to this prayer asking for God, asking God for something that we're unwilling to do ourselves. We come to this prayer as disciples. God, I am trying to extend mercy and forgiveness to the people that have wronged me. And I'm asking you for mercy and forgiveness today. We are not asking God for something else we refuse to do ourselves in our own relationships. And I got to tell you, you know, there are some times where I will pray this prayer, you know, just, just use each one of these lines in a just kind of pray through them slowly over an hour or something. And sometimes when I get to this forgive others as, you know, forgive me as I forgive others, sometimes i got to camp out there for a while. And i got to say, God, I don't feel like forgiving this other person that's wronged me. They owe me. But help me. <laughs> help me to let go. Help me to show mercy, Lord. I kind of think of that prayer. Uh, I believe, help my unbelief. I forgive, help my unforgiveness. And then the last line of this is, lead us not into temptation. And I really believe that this line ties right back into the top of the prayer. Keep me from the circumstances that I can't handle, God. Keep me from the situations where I will dishonor your name because I ain't ready for them. There are things I don't want to be tempted with. I could, I could give you a whole list. I think it is probably this prayer here that has saved me from winning the lottery. <laughs> probably has. <laughs> when I see the, the horrible you know, lottery stories, people that have won all this money, and it's just the story of their life. Lord, keep me from the temptations that will cause me to bring dishonor to your name. Keep me from those things. And Lord, you know me better than I know myself. There's a few things that I know, but I'm sure God knows a lot more temptations that I'm, I ain't ready for. So in closing, we go through this prayer. We come in and we say, Father, you're my father. I'm your child. Let me... Live a life that brings honor to your name. Let your name be beautiful in this world. Let it not be profane. Let your kingdom, your rule, and your reign be manifest in my life and in this broken world. Give us today what we need just for this day. Spiritually. Physically, emotionally, provide all that we need. I trust myself to you for, for what I need today, Lord. Forgive us our sins as we are forgiving 
the ones that have sinned against us and keep us from the temptations that would take us down and bring dishonor to your name. Why don't you stand up? And let's just close by saying, we're going to go ahead and pray the Matthew version since I've got it on the uh, PowerPoint there. I think we do. Do we have the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer? Yeah. Uh, And I just want to encourage you this week uh, just to, to sit with this prayer, sit with these lines, and let this, when you see a tragedy in the world, when you've got a friend that's sick, just pray through this prayer. Use this as, as your, not just like, I'll think good thoughts towards you. <laughs> God help them. Think this prayer. Use this prayer as a way to pray for people and pray for yourself. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.